Welcome to the Let's Get Chemical podcast, a podcast made by chemical engineers for chemical engineers, and with, in which we talk with alumni and other guests who work in the world of chemical engineering about their experiences, their jobs, and other hot topics in the industry. My name is Frizo. I'm a 24-year-old chemical engineering student here at the UT and the host for this episode. First of all, some public service announcements. Through Olympic promotional channels, we will try to announce podcasts beforehand so you can send in questions if you want to. And if you want to be part of the podcast or you have a strong opinion, please let us know as well. As you might remember, last episode we talked with Thomas Brouwer, who is currently working at Host, or Pride actually. If you haven't listened already and you want to know more about Thomas and what he does for his work and about his life and the position where he is now, you can find that episode in YouTube, Spotify and of course the Olympic website. For today's episode we have a really hot topic and with a very special guest in my opinion, Sasha Kerste. Dear Sasha, could you maybe give a small introduction about who you are and what you do? For yeah. sure, I, uh, thanks for having me here this evening already. My name is Sasha Kersten. I was not born here in this region. I come from Limburg, in the south of this uh, country. I was born and raised there. Then moved to Amsterdam to, to study chemical engineering. Then I started to work at ECN, which is the Dutch Energy Research Foundation. Uh, worked on many topics, fuel cells, biomass gasification, coal gasification, even nuclear power. Already back then, which was in the mid-90s, I was interested in renewables, yeah, so a new way of, of dealing with, uh, with energy. While at ECN, I did my PhD stu- uh, studies, so I actually never was a real PhD student. I was working at an institute and did my PhD when I was uh, present over there. Later on, I transferred to Twente. Uh, I think this was in the range of 2002-2003. And my first assignment here was to coordinate the biomass research. Back then, we did quite some research on, on biomass, uh, biomass to energy and also biomass to fuels. And later on, I got interested in research in general, and I was uh, elected or asked to become a professor in, in chemical engineering. And that was in the year 2010. And since then, I'm working in the group SPT, as, as you might know. And this group is very broad. Uh, we are doing all kinds of research, uh, very closely related to, to industry. We are chemical engineers from profession, uh, and we work on items still biomass to fuels, biomass to chemicals, CO2 capture, electrification of the chemical industry, uh, separation technology, reactor engineering, and so on. Okay, and is there any topic in, from that list you just mentioned that you think like, oh, this is something I'm really, really interested in myself? Yeah, see, I, I, I still think that that biomass uh, is a reasonable choice for the, uh, for the future, huh? Maybe this, this, well, needs a bit of historical context. In the mid-90s, we thought about renewables, right? And back then, biomass was seen as a very important source of renewable energy. And we worked on that for 10 to 15 years. And later on, biomass, well, became quite less popular. Right? It was uh, food, of, uh, food against fuel and so on. So that was a, a topic back then. But I still think that that biomass in itself would be a very good uh, replacement for for fossil resources. What I'm also doing now at the moment, which I did not mention yet, is is the recycling of of plastics. So that's more like recycling. 
biomass is a new source eh, of carbon. But in a future uh, economy, we should also start to recycle, let's say, carbon, and that could be done by plastic recycling. Okay. Then today the, we are already mentioned we're going to discuss a hot topic, and the hot topic is the cutting the ties. So basically for those who are listening who don't know about what cutting the ties means, it's basically there's a movement going on right now where there's a lot of pressure on universities that universities should stop working together with the fossil industry and think about the research that they are doing with the fossil industry that is promoted by the fossil industry or actually invested by the fossil industry. And if we should continue doing that or if we should, well, gut the ties with the fossil industry. Do you agree with this synopsis, this <laughs> very short introduction about the topic? Any yeah. things I missed? No, I don't think you missed things. Uh, I think we could add that this came up very quickly. Yeah? I, I, never, I did not see this coming. Let's put it like that. I did not see this issue coming up uh, two years ago. But now it's there. Indeed, uh, there are groups, eh, also university groups, that are advocating to cut all the ties with industry. Yeah. Okay. We'll later on discuss also your opinion on it. But we'll try to, to get many angles on it and discuss what should be done. And for that to, to go there, to basically... Uh, reach that goal, we first wanted to discuss what the future of the chemical industry is. So what is the future of the chemical industry in relation to sustainability? That's, of course, a very big question. Eh? I think the future of the chemical industry is you should also see as the, the need for products, for materials, for fuels. Eh? The current society uh, needs chemicals. Eh? Without chemicals, we would be naked over here. Uh, which would be a strange situation. <laughs> uh, we need the chemical industry to fulfill our needs of our current life. Uh, uh, what most people do not realize is that most products are made in a in a factory, right? In a chemical factory, at least the ingredients for the products are made in a chemical factory. So I don't think that society in itself or society as a whole can do without this can do without this industry. Uh, and then you also have to realize a, a few things, and, and one of them is that uh, the population is still growing. Eh? At the moment, we have 8 billion people on this globe. Well, the projections differ a bit, but let's say it's 9, 10 or 11 billion in, in the future, but let's say it's 10, it's a nice number. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, so just the amount of people that is increasing will increase the demand for products that we are making. And next to that, uh, quite some of these 10 billion, let's say it's 3 to 4 billion people, will start to have a, a life, uh, a way of living that requires more chemicals and more energy. Eh? So the amount of products that we are going to produce, or actually the amount of products that are needed, will only increase. Yeah, maybe an example, um, the, the, the plastic industry, yeah? At the moment, a round number would be that we are producing 400 million tons of plastics per year yeah, in, in 2023. The general projection is that this will grow again, rounded off to 1 billion tons per year at the end of the century. So the, if you talk about what will happen in the future with the industry, yeah, the chemical industry, this will only grow yeah, because we need more materials. 
that's for sure one direction it, 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 uh, it will go. Of course, the products that this chemical industry is producing will change. Yeah? Uh, at the moment, a refinery produces uh, gasoline and diesel from crude oil. Yeah? Uh, we are electrifying the transportation. Uh, some people drive an electric car. Not many, if you, if you count, yeah? but some, that number will increase. So the projection is that in, well, in X years, let's say in 2060 or 2070, 50% of all the transport can be electric. Yeah? But there will still be a need for, let's say, liquid energy carriers, uh, like we have now diesel and, and gasoline. Now, the question is where to make them from. The objective of uh, the European Union, but also worldwide, is that we don't use fossil fuels anymore in 2050. Well, that means that these liquid transportation fuels have to be made from something else as compared to fossil fuels, what that can be, biomass or CO2. Yeah. So in general, there will be huge and huge changes in the future, but I think that the industry in itself will only grow. Okay, um, but if it grows, we will also um, come across quite a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. What do you expect will be the biggest challenges that we will come across? in the future, let's say between now and 2050? Okay, yeah. Uh, well, we can address a few, eh, because there are many, many, but I will, I will for instance, start with, uh, with the recycling of plastic. Yeah? Uh, these challenges will be uh, at many levels. Yeah? Uh, at, at first, if we talk about plastic recycling, yeah, we have to collect these plastics. Yeah? That's not easy at all. Yeah? So collecting plastics is, is something that we have to consider. That's not the uh, the job of the chemical engineer, but that is part of the whole chain. Yeah? So all these new structures will be part of a, of a completely new chain. Yeah? In plastic recycling, it all starts with the collection of plastics. Uh, then we have to sort to sort out the the plastics. Yeah? Then we have to clean the plastics, and then we come in uh, potentially uh, as chemical engineers. We have to develop technology to recycle these these plastics. What can that be? We can have traditional means of pyrolysis and gasification, but then we have to adapt these to, to the plastics as, as feedstock. Um, next, we have to find a way to produce a plastic again from the product made by gasification or pyrolysis. Now, these are all challenges at the level of, of chemical engineering. Yeah? It's about uh, process development, yeah? but it's also about doing research on what kind of developments have to be taken place. For instance, one of the big issues in this recycling chain is that all plastics are contaminated. Most plastics contain chlorine. We cannot put chlorine in the feed to a chemical facility because then catalysts will die, for instance. So there comes in the challenge to the chemical engineer to make sure that we will develop the technologies to enable these recycling chains. So that's a big challenge in itself. Yeah, I can mention another one if you like. Yeah. Yes, please. I don't know if you heard about the about the desire or the the direction to electrify the chemical industry. Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you now uh, take a look at the chemical industry and refineries, all these processes they require energy. Yeah. And essentially this energy is brought in via electricity, but not much. Most of it is being brought in by heat, combustion of natural gas, uh, for instance, or 
by an internal process stream that is combusted. Now, if you want to electrify these facilities, let's say all the energy required for the process will be delivered by power, by electrons, so to speak. Now, that is something completely different. You as students, you probably had a course in which the the NAFTA cracker cracker is discussed. Eh? So we are cracking NAFTA with steam into a furnace, actually, and then we make ethylene and propylene uh, and so on. And But now this is done in a furnace in which methane is combusted. Now, how should that process look like when we are not combusting methane to fire the process, but we have to drive the whole process based on electrons, on power? How should that be done? And these are huge and huge challenges for, well, the young generation, for you. Okay. And you, you do think that's that's possible, that the energy density uh, can be big enough to actually electrify the entire industry? Yeah, it's not about the energy density. Yeah, it is about the amount of energy that you can actually, that is available. Hmm? Yeah, okay, but do, so, so do you think that that's feasible? It is feasible for this country. I think for this country it's feasible. There is now a, a report out, in which I was also one of the co-authors, and a club of people was thinking about the future on the industry in this, in this country. And there we said, okay, let's assume that we're going to electrify the chemical industry. Hmm? And how much power would be needed for that? Now, then we should first have a few numbers as a baseline, right? At the moment, we have power plants, which actually deliver the electricity and the electrons, charge electrons for houses and for industry. And this is about 12 gigawatts. Yeah, so 12 gigawatts we now have installed, uh, more or less. If we want to go to electric cars and if we want to go to uh, uh, electrifying the industry, then we need around 70 to 100 gigawatts. So that's an enormous increase. Now, yeah, is that feasible? Yeah, you might say that is feasible because the Dutch government just uh, announced the plan to have 70, 70 gigawatts of wind energy at sea. So the amount could be done. If this holds for all countries, I don't know. Eh? Because we, of course, have the very uh, luxurious position that we are located near the sea. We have a long coastline eh? uh, with respect to our land area. Uh, I don't think that the neighbors of us to the east, the Germans, uh, can do this. Uh, they they will not be able, I think, to fuel their whole country uh, based on wind power at sea. So here it can be done. Okay, it's a huge amount. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's that's good to know. <laughs> we already discussed the biomass a little bit, and we discussed the the recycling of plastics in a, a bit more detail. Uh, are there current technologies that are being developed within SPT, let's say, um, that you think have a potential to uh, is, that are a potential solution for the um, sustainable industry to sus- to make the chemical industry more sustainable? Yeah, I think there are there are many uh, potential good technologies being investigated also in our group. Um, what you see uh, that nowadays there, there, has, there has been a shakedown. With a shakedown, I mean, uh, once we started with biomass, or when we started with biomass, we, we, we investigated everything, right? Because uh, there is, yeah, you have many options for the future. 
And then after 10 years, you can set a few of, of these technologies aside because probably they will be okay with respect to the technology itself, but in an economics way or in an environmental way, they don't make that much sense. Yeah? So that is maybe a first answer to your question. Uh, many technologies will, well, let's say, well, be part of the future, yeah? and some of them we already left behind. Yeah? That, that's uh, one general remark. Now, in the field of biomass, uh, we, we started off with uh, in the 90s, and then actually not only me, but the most policymakers thought that biomass would, there be, would be a good fuel for power, heat and power. Yeah? So this is mid-90s, and then we said biomass goes to heat and power. Yeah. Well, later on, this well, we abandoned that idea, not only we, but let's say based on the input of policymakers, because, yeah, then you have to import biomass, we have to burn the biomass or gasify the biomass, we have to transport large amounts of biomass to, to the Netherlands and then uh, combust them here or gasify them here in our power plants. That, that idea was abandoned. Then we came up that maybe uh, biomass can be used in refineries, standard refineries as we have now. Instead of crude oil as a feedstock, some liquid biomass could be fed and then we can make a transportation fuel out of biomass. I still think that's a feasible option, short term, uh, because these refineries are there. We can liquefy biomass, so hey, having the biomass uh, as a liquid feed and then feeding it into a refinery could be a good option also for the coming uh, decades. My current thinking is that, that if you use biomass, then you should make use of the atomic structure of the biomass in relation to the products, meaning uh, biomass contains oxygen. Yeah? So why not make molecules containing oxygen from biomass? Instead of taking, uh, let's say, crude oil, which contains no oxygen, and oxidize the molecule to make yeah, uh, a product from it. So at the moment, most of the research is focusing on making chemicals from, from biomass. Next to that, you can also make materials, of course, from, uh, from biomass. Okay. Then I think we can actually go more towards the, the next topic of where will the future of the chemical industry be located? Will it still be in Europe, or do you think that it might shift towards Asia or the United States? Where do you think the chemical industry will be located in the future? That's a good question. I could answer that also based on, on current trends. Eh? If, you, if you look at the developments globally, you already see that, that, that most new factories are not being built in Europe. Eh? So there is an outflux, or let's say there is the, the new factories are being built outside of Europe, at least the majority of them. Um, so yeah, then the answer would be indeed that, that, that quite some of the, of the industry will move away from Europe. Um, that is also not so strange, uh, I would say, uh, also because the market is not that much in Europe uh, anymore. If you look, for instance, again at plastics, eh, we are producing uh, 400 million tons per year. I think 15%, 1.5-15% of that amount is being consumed in Europe. If you then also take into account that, let's say, the growth in population will be outside of Europe, then it is logical that China is building more chemical factories than than we are doing, right? You do see that some special, uh, some, some niches are being built in Europe. Eh? 
uh, it seems that the Rotterdam area is becoming a biofuel stronghold uh, with companies as Shell and Neste and UPM talking about biofuels in that, uh, in that region. So we will have new factories, uh, new chemical plants in Europe, but uh, the majority of the new ones will, I think, be built outside Europe. Is that a good direction? I would say no, because also, uh, yeah, I think quite some of the, of the national income is associated to the chemical industry. Yeah? So my plea is always that let's, let's make sure that we keep a part of this industry in, in the Netherlands or in Europe and, and make sure that we transform this industry to a much more sustainable uh, way of, op- of operation. But keep the industry here, develop technology here, develop technology that is sustainable, renewable here, and, and yeah, lead the rest of the world actually to in this direction. Okay, something that I just thought of, but uh, what if it would be completely up to you? How would you make sure that the chemical industry would stay here? Uh, what would you do if it was completely up to you? Again, 100% of the decision-making, <laughs> the Hague would listen to you. What would you do to make sure that the chemical industry would stay in the Netherlands and become more sustainable? Would be nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I for sure would have what you would call an industry policy, yeah, so that we also think about this at national level, how to keep this industry in this country. That would mean, uh, let's say, in the first years, making as much as possible use of the existing infrastructure. I don't think it makes much sense to, let's say, to abandon now the refineries and the chemical complexes and build something completely new, uh, make use of it. But and while doing this, start working on new technologies, new uh, big chemical facilities in this country. This country has a very big asset in the harbor of, of Rotterdam. So this harbor makes sure that at the moment we have refineries there of all, almost oil, all the oil majors, meaning that the combination of this harbor, through which we can import all kinds of feedstock, in the past oil, maybe in the future biomass or liquefied biomass or recycled plastics, we could even have a CO2 pipeline coming on shore over there, and but make sure that we keep on, let's say, making use of this harbor together with our tradition of being very good at chemical engineering and, and like I said, lead the way for the rest of the world to make this whole field more sustainable. Okay. Then we now come to the big topic that maybe many listeners <laughs> will be joining us for, and that is the, the cutting the ties part. And with focus on what role the universities play regarding this topic so what role do you think that the universities play in finding a solution for these problems like not necessarily the cutting the uh, ties but the what role do you think that universities play in finding sustainable solutions for the fossil industry for the chemical industry right Yeah, I think the most important remark there to make is that we are educating you, students. University educates students. And students will work in this industry for, I don't know, 40 years or 50 years nowadays with the current pension uh, age. (laughs) No, so I think the most important job of a university is to educate students. And this education should be good at the level of content eh? so the basic ideas in our case of, of chemical engineering so yes in the future we will still 
have to teach you chemical reactor engineering and transport phenomena and so on. There is no way we can do without this. Yeah? So we have to teach you the, the basics. Yeah? And then we will also teach you about the current fossil industry because we also have to be realistic. Yeah? Some of you will work in that industry yeah, for years to come. But I hope that you're also noticing that in the curriculum and in the talks of professors, we are slowly bringing in all kinds of topics on, let's say, renewables, sustainable energy, and so on. Yeah, so the most important job of a university, again, and I'm saying this very often, is to educate good chemical engineers, yeah, which have a good view of the industry and which can make up their own mind on how to yeah, design, I should say design, how they should design their future. Okay. You mentioned that we also should be educated in the, the fossil industry, mm-hmm. the knowledge point there, that uh, should universities also collaborate uh, with the current fossil industry? Would you say that, yeah? Yeah, I would, I would, say, I would say yes. Um, see, I, I wrote a, uh, a newspaper article a few, I think, one month ago, more or less. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and um, in the NRC uh, newspaper. And there we made a few arguments why we should do that. Yeah? And if I have to summarize, then... Yeah, maybe the argument is as follows. Eh? This this fossil uh, industry, as they call it, eh? they have the, the manpower and they have the knowledge and they have the uh, the means, so the financial means to actually, well, to speed up this transition. Let's call it a transition. Um, why would university not work together with them? Eh? Because if we don't work together with them, I think this will only slow down this transition and they should also realize that well the vast majority of all the research projects we are doing eh, with for instance shell or being it exxon or dow are on sustainable topics Eh, so we are helping them to develop better more renewable more sustainable technology and at the same time we are educating people okay I, i don't see any reason why to stop this what the like let's well, opposition is quite a hard word but what you hear in the news quite a bit is that um, students want to stop universities working together with the chem- with the fossil industry because of the greenwashing they say that indeed chemical fossil companies invest in renewable energy but still the majority of the policy making within the companies and the money they make comes from non-sustainable resources. Yeah. What is your opinion on that? Yeah, see, I, yeah, greenwashing, I think, is a difficult term. Yeah, for sure there will be some greenwashing. But I think greenwashing is done also by universities that say we're going to stop this collaboration, uh, that you could also uh, call uh, greenwashing. Yeah, I think it's it's... There's no such thing as an ideal world. That's my, my view on this. Yeah? So you, maybe it's a choice between a rock and a hard place in English. <laughs> yeah? No, not really, actually. But the fastest way, and I'm, I'm repeating myself, uh, the fastest way to get to a sustainable, circular, whatever you want to call it, uh, future, I think is by working together with these large industries, uh, large fossil industries. Again, because they have the means, financial means, they have the manpower, and they have lots and lots of knowledge uh, in their companies. Um, if we don't this, do this, it only goes slower. Yeah, if you want to, if you then want to 
at the argument of greenwashing, I'm fine. Uh, but if you don't do it, then you will only slow down. And well, who benefits from that? Uh, to put it differently, I don't see uh, by which other route, and that's also the challenge to what you just called, I think you called it the opposition, right? Or the, yeah. uh, the other side or whatever. Uh, the challenge is then how would we do this? Uh, who should pay for this? Uh, should the new economy be developed completely by small spin-off companies, by startup companies? Uh, I don't see the alternative. No, no, I, I agree with that, actually. I do still think it's important to also discuss the, the opinion of the other side. Oh, no, for sure. No, and, and I, I really do an effort to... I try to make an effort to understand them. Yeah. I think we should always, well, discuss. Yeah, yeah see, for instance, say, I, I already do not understand already the term fossil industry to me is very strange. I think that every industry is fossil uh, because all industries use power and heat. Yeah, And yeah, if you take a look at the European energy mix, this is uh, 80% or 75% fossil. So it's it's very strange to, to to say okay there's a fossil industry and a non-fossil industry. I think at the moment all industry is is fossil. But then again, I well, I challenge them to come up with a plan to reach uh, what they call climate neutrality or CO2 to go to CO2 neutral yeah, in 2050 without these big companies. Okay, something quite different but still related to this you also have the united nations uh, sustainable development goals do you think that universities should be involved with those goals reaching those goals thinking about how they should reach those goals yeah see these goals are very general right uh, i think uh, because one of them is to no poverty is one of these goals the other one is food availability and so on you cannot really disagree with these with these goals, and that makes them a bit less concrete uh, for me. Um, I don't think that these should be a leading. These should be leading in the university. Yeah? Uh, what you see at the moment is that every university and every polytechnical university, uh, applied university, and every high school feels the urge to to make an effort to contribute to these UN SDGs. While I, th while I think, and I mentioned that before, that the main goal of university is to, to educate, educate people, people. Yeah? <laughs> and to create people that are, that, that see many, that, yeah, that, that have experienced inputs from all kinds of directions and they can make their own choice on what to do in their further career. Having said that, uh, I, I have worked my whole career in renewables, sustainability so i'm in favor of that the only thing is i i don't like that that it has become a a a single direction you have to include these un goals in your research and education well, it's fine if you do but you don't have to yeah? to make it concrete if there is a professor here at university that would decide and would find a uh, very interesting scientific uh, question in enhanced oil recovery, that should be possible. Uh, we should not say to such a researcher, well, uh, you cannot do this because this is, uh, well, not helping in one of the uh, UN SDGs. Okay. 
It's a really interesting take on it. It's a, a great, <laughs> great thing to learn. Thanks. I read an article that was written in, in Het Parool mm-hmm. about the Free University of Amsterdam, the, the VU. Yeah. And they will be cutting the ties, not with their current research, but they have a, will be having a special committee that will judge new collaborations and they will only work with companies that are actually working on achieving the climate goals as set by the Paris Agreement, if I'm not mistaken. What do you think about this? Do you agree with it? Do you think that the UT should also imply such a thing? Or what What do you think about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm now, I think it was not the VU, but the UVA that, that is doing this. But that doesn't matter. It's one <laughs> of the Amsterdam universities. Yeah, I would say that that is greenwashing in itself. Because how would you actually evaluate that? How will you ever determine if a company is, well, making an effort or how they contribute to the Paris goals? Yeah, that I wouldn't know how to do this. For instance, at the UVA, eh, I now know that they have an, a committee that actually has to evaluate every proposal of a, a research proposal of a professor or a group of professors with the fossil industry and see if this is, well, if this is allowed, yes or no. Yeah, I, I don't think we should do that because that's always subjective. What will be the measure to determine when it's okay or not? Eh? Should you spend, I don't know, uh, 10% of your profit to, to renewables, 15%? Should it be 50%? Can you only work together with companies that, that uh, do not use fossil resources at all and which I just said, well, they are hardly there? So I, it remains subjective. I, I would not know how to, to do this. Would you then advise to maybe be really transparent in with which companies you're working together? So let's say the university says we're not going to cut our ties, but every research that's being supported by Shell, because before we, we started recording, you said Shell made $40 billion profit and they invested $4 billion of that into sustainable research. No, no, sust- no, not no. Well, so, that sorry. would be nice yeah. research. No, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah. in, into sustainable, let's say, investments. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sustainable investments. Would you then say, like, on the university, every research that's being done should have, like, a label if it's being supported by Shell, uh, for example? Uh, would you say that the university should be really transparent in saying the this research is supported by... A, I will still use the term fossil yeah. industry company, <laughs> by lack of a better word, or not? Yeah, why not? I, but I think that's already being done. Eh? So if we publish a paper in my group, so I can only speak for my group, eh, <laughs> and Shell is the sponsor, then it's just written uh, uh, in that paper, uh, uh, somewhere at the back, I should also mention that, uh, that the research is sponsored by Shell. I have no objection at all to... To, to make a public list and say, okay, uh, we have these projects and uh, these are sponsored by Exxon, by Dow, by Shell and, and whatsoever. Yeah, see, like I just said, eh, m- most, and in my group I think it's 100%, uh, all of this research we are doing together with this, what you still call fossil industry, um, well, is on sustainable topics. Yeah? And, well, Mind you, we are also working together very often with experts from Shell in, in these projects. So we are completely open in this. There are no secrets at all. There is no hidden agenda. 
it's also not the case that, yeah, for instance, Shell has a too big of a say in the research. Yeah, so it, it's always Shell that sponsors a research project, and then there's a university professor that executes the research. And yeah, the professor is, of course, in charge of what will be done. They cannot hold back any research results. Yeah? So, well, they cannot say, uh, we do not like this outcome because it's against our interests, so we will forbid you to publish this. This, at least to me, never happened. Uh, so, yeah, transparency, no problem at all. Okay, that's actually really good that you also mentioned that because there was something I didn't know, and I know that some students at the UT also think that <laughs> there is like a hidden agenda. But it's, So it, I think it's a really good thing that you also mentioned that such a company doesn't have influence on research like that. We do also have some questions from listeners, actually. Sure. Oh. <laughs> and the the first one, Tim, has a question. And he asks, how do you think the executive board of the UT should handle the cutting the ties situation? And what action do you think they will take? So let's separate it into yeah. two questions, actually. Focus on the first one. So how do you think the executive board should handle this issue? Good question, Tim. Yeah, I think that the board has to take a position and they should, say, communicate this position. And that's something that I did not do until now, at least not that I heard of. So I, the first thing I, sh- I think they should do, they should say, okay, this is the position of the University of Twente. We are a bit slow in that respect, eh? like you just said in this in this uh, trial paper. You already mentioned something. I know that... Uh, Utrecht also made a statement, Eindhoven uh, already made a statement, well, and so on. So the first thing that I would f- advise the board is to announce what is the statement of the University of Twente. Yeah? And I would advise them, but yeah, that's not strange, <laughs> and knowing my, my own opinion, that they would say we will s- remain collaborations with this industry, just because the reasons I just said. Uh, it will only increase the transition towards a, su- a sustainable uh, future. Well, what do I think that they will do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, having heard the first uh, announcements internally, I will think that they will go along with my advice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's interesting to know. Then we have another question, and we we actually don't know for this one who sent it in. But that's, how do you think the energy transition is aided by universities together working with fossil companies? Well, we actually already kind of discussed this earlier on, but still, maybe give like a short recap. Yeah, so see, yeah, maybe I can formulate a a different answer to that, but in the same line of thinking. Most major companies, what they did in the past was they did most of their research internally. Collaboration of companies with industry is something that is not very new, but relatively new. Yeah. At the moment, this is much more. So all the major companies are collaborating with universities. They are doing that for a reason. Yeah, they, they do think that at universities, smart people are present that, that could help them in developing new technologies. So that's one way. Yeah? So industries do think that we will come up with good ideas. Yeah? And that can be at, at, at all kinds of levels. That can be at the level of... Yeah, let's say, technologies that will come in place in a few years, but also technologies for 2050 or even uh, further away. So that's one way. 
Yeah, the other one, which we also already said, uh, uh, we are educating the engineers, like the two of you, eh, like you, <laughs> which eventually will have to make this transition to a sustainable future happen. And so that's the second most important thing, I would say. Okay. Then the last question we actually have is, can we limit research that does not support sustainable future? And how would this impact the funding from companies for research groups? such as SPT? Yeah, can we limit? Yeah, of course we can. I think some universities will take that step, uh, like you also said yourselves. Should we limit it? I think no. But if we do, uh, then, like I also said, this will have a very small effect of the current research volume, as most of the research is done in the sustainability domain. Yeah, see, the knowledge about the current processes, uh, let's call them the fossil processes, is within the companies. Yeah? So they don't really need us for their current operations. They, they want to see what we are doing. They want to see what new ideas we are having for the future. And, well, most companies are on a path that they want to go along with the, with the goals of the Paris Agreement uh, or whatever, maybe in a different pace. Yeah? But eventually, uh, most of them are investing and are well going towards a renewable sustainable future okay <laughs> we actually already reached the end of the podcast i first want to ask you is, is there still anything you would like to share regarding this topic or regarding everything we we discussed do you still think like this is um has gone unmentioned no don't think so okay. nice talk <laughs> yeah so uh, thank you so so much for being here for having this this my opinion great discussion regarding cutting the ties regarding all the sustainable industry the, the fossil industry as well uh, so thank you very much for being our guest today we'll promote the episode through our networks and it will be uploaded on the Alambique website youtube and spotify if you want to listen to it thank you very much Pleasure.